me everyone. My name is Paul, I'm one of the pastors here at King's Church and it's my privilege to lead the team. I do want to uh, back that up, um, we're expecting a great time with Chris in three weeks, so uh, do think, who can I bring to that Sunday morning? He'll be uh, preaching the Gospel, he'll be sharing about Jesus, he'll be talking more about him and uh, we're also going to make a good time to pray for the sick, which we'll also be doing next Sunday as well. Now this morning we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy again, so if you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy. Um, Anna and Em, where are you? Up you come. Um, I've got a bit of help this morning, so uh, please give them a warm welcome. Anna and Em are going to be sharing a little bit later. I know they're a little nervous, um, a bit like me, to be honest, this morning. Very good. Very good. Just to update you a little bit um, regarding the building work. Things are progressing slowly. We'd love them to be moving on a little bit quicker, but we are making progress. Um, we've had the evaluation done on this property, which we need to get done um, so that we can take the loan out against it. That, that was a real answer to prayer. Um, God has really uh, blessed us in the valuation that has come back, so we're absolutely thrilled. We've now given the go-ahead to um, one of the high street banks to say that we'd like to proceed with them. There's still a few things we'd like to negotiate on and get changed, but we think everything's moving along quite well there. And we're hoping, or this is my personal prayer point, and I'd love you to join me in praying for this, is that before I go on sabbatical at the end of this month, that we're able to uh, give an order to the lo- uh, one of the contractors to start work. And then they will start probably about four weeks after we give them the order. So we're hoping that we'll be able to start maybe beginning of June. Now obviously we are hoping it would be in March but it's just how it goes with these things. So please keep praying for God's grace and blessing as we work our way through in these things. So as I mentioned, we're continuing our preach series in 1 Timothy. Last, uh, last time I spoke, we picked up at the beginning of chapter 2 and I spoke about prayer. This morning we're going to be looking at a subject is somewhat, which is somewhat more contentious than that. Um, We're looking at some passages that I think will uh, cause some good discussion over the dinner table today. And that's why I've called for reinforcements. The important thing, although although there's an element of jest to what I'm saying, it's important we don't shy away from difficult bits of the Bible. We need to take them full on. We need to look to see what they say And whether we like them or not, we've got to look to do the best we can to apply them to our lives. Because we don't choose what we apply from the Bible dependent on whether we like it or not. We apply it because we're following Jesus Christ and he's our Lord and our Saviour. Therefore, what we then need to do is look to line our lives up with what the Bible says. I'll read these verses, then we're going to pray. And then it's straight over to Emma and Anna. They're going to explain it all and I'm going to sit down there. (laughs) I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. I also want women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. She must be silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness with propriety. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be, the, must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we start from a position that all scripture is God-breathed 
and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that we may be fully equipped. Lord, we look at these verses and we have to be honest, they look quite confusing. In actual fact, in in some ways, they're quite offensive. And I ask, Lord, would you give us grace this morning as we look at these verses, that firstly we may understand what you have in mind, and secondly we may apply them to our lives. We ask for your grace and your help in that. I pray, Lord, for Em and for Anna as they share a little bit later, that you'll fill them with your Holy Spirit, and they speak your words, I ask. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Equal but different. That's the title I've given for this morning. The danger when we read this type of passage, and it can be about this sort of subject, or it can be anything really, but any of these sorts of passages, is to say, maybe, look, it doesn't fit with the culture we're in. And this really doesn't fit with the culture we're in. Therefore, I'm not going to apply it to my life. Actually, I'm not even going to try and understand it. I'm just not going to have anything to do with it. Or maybe, and I've already touched on this already, actually, maybe you read passages like this and you think, actually, I just don't like it. And therefore, I'm not going to look to apply it. I'm not, to be honest, when I read 1 Timothy, I'm just going to miss those seven or eight verses out. I'm going to go from the prayer bit to the overseers bit because I, I just find it too hard. And it can be about this particular passage which is talking about men and women. Or to be honest, it can be about anything. It could be about sex outside of marriage. You're in a relationship with someone at the moment, you're sleeping with them, you you say, I I love Jesus, I'm following him, but hey, my lifestyle doesn't tie up with it, I'm I'm just going to ignore those bits. Or I'm going to try and work it out so it fits in with my lifestyle. I'm going to define scripture by the culture I'm living in rather than using... Yes, rather than seeing the culture from a biblical perspective. And I think it's a danger for any of us. Any one of us sat here today will have blind spots where where we're looking and we choose to ignore certain bits of scripture because they don't fit in with what you believe or what you think. Maybe it's anger. says here about, and we're going to touch on that in a minute, men, not to be angry, disputing. I know, I mean, I, 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 it's not really a big problem, so I'm just going to ignore it. We cannot accept John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We cannot on the one hand say, yes, this is the certainty for my salvation, but then cherry-pick other verses out of the Bible that you don't like and just put them to one side. I prayed it out already. It says in, one, it says in Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. We cannot become the independent standard of what's acceptable or what's not. We've got to work hard to try and understand Scripture. Now, these verses that we've looked at here come at a transition point in 1 Timothy. The first two verses, verses 8 to 10, he, Paul is link, he's talking about worship and prayer, which we looked at last time I spoke. Verses 11, right the way through to chapter 3, verse 13, are talking about leadership. And so there's a transition right in the middle that we will look to uh, cover as we go there. Now, last time I spoke about prayer and worship and what we're going to briefly look at before we start looking at leadership, we're going to look at what are the hindrances in prayer. And Paul identifies two different sets of hindrances. For men, he identifies one set and for women, he identifies another set. For men, in verse 8, it says this. No, it doesn't in verses 8 to 10. It says... No, verse 8, it says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. The issue for men is anger. Timothy is told earlier in uh, in chapter 1 to fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. How do we fight the good fight? Men, the first thing we do is we lift up our hands in prayer without anger or disputing. 
we can become quickly offended. Men? We can be easily offended. We can get caught up worrying about one another rather than worrying about sin, the flesh and the devil. We've got a big task. It says earlier in chapter 2 that God wants all men to be saved. That is a big task. There are 150,000 people around us at the moment, most of which don't know anything about Jesus Christ. We have got far too much to be worried about to be worrying about anger and disputing among ourselves. In Ephesus at the time, they were getting caught up in arguments about myths and meaningless talk. They were getting caught up in words and things like that. They were missing the fact that in Ephesus there was thousands and thousands of people that didn't know Jesus. We can get sidetracked from the fight by petty differences when there's a world to save and dire poverty to be relieved. And the first thing we need to do if we want to make a difference is lift up holy hands, hands set aside for God in prayer without anger and disputing. The last two times I've spoken, I've spoken about prayer. It is critical. Any relationship is defined by the conversation that you have one to the other. Is that not right? The deeper your relationship probably the more time you spend together. So why is it as Christians we think we can have a deep relationship with God but never speak to him? I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, but, but do you pray? Are you cultivating your walk with him? By the way, I haven't moved over to this side because I think you are more in need of it. <laughs> they, they will get some treatment later on. But, but prayer is critical, isn't it? Men, women, men, head of the household, if you don't pray, it's very, unli- it's very likely your household will not pray either. You need to step up, take responsibility. Don't allow anger or disputing to interrupt your prayer life or to interrupt your prayers to God and be a barrier. We have got far too much to be getting on with. Then into verses 9 and 10. I also want women to dress modestly, with with decency and propriety. Not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. So women, when you gather to pray, gather with modesty, decency and propriety, like those who profess to worship God. It's not about the external appearance, it's about the heart. When you gather to worship him, do not spend more time getting the outside ready than you do getting the inside ready. Men, same applies to you. In 1 Peter 3, if you've got your Bibles, turn to it. 1 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4. This is a different person speaking, so it's not just the Apostle Paul, this is the Apostle uh, Peter speaking now. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewellery and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. Cultivate unfading beauty. Our culture is caught up with unfading beauty, is it not? You can spend hundreds of pounds working on unfading beauty. The problem is it fades. But Peter says, actually, unfading beauty isn't about the skin or the hair or the makeup, but it's about the heart. A gentle and a quiet spirit, one that is devoted to Jesus. One where we spend more time cultivating our passion for Him. 1 commentator said about this passage in um, Ephesians that there was vast 
inequality in the church at Ephesus. You had the very poor in the church service. They were slaves. They maybe had just one or two dresses, very simply made, not a lot of money went into it, not a lot of time or effort. But on the other side, you had the mega-rich. You had, you had mega-rich. Women who had dresses that had taken months and months and months to make. Hours of labour, costing tens and tens and tens of thousands of pounds in our modern money. And they were both in the same church on the same Sunday, week after week after week. When these mega-rich women walked in, heads would turn. The men would turn and go, wow! Maybe the women's heads would turn and say, God, I hate you. I'd like a dress like that. But it was a cause for contention. It was a cause for dispute and trouble. It wasn't that Paul was anti-clothes or nice stuff or that, that what I'm saying is anything really to do with the, the, the external appearance or, or not putting time or effort into it, but it's getting more caught up in that than worrying about what Jesus Christ thinks. In the end, when we come to church, it's not about heads turning to look at us, it's about heads turning to look at him and Jesus Christ. But in Ephesus, maybe that wasn't the case. They both sat in the same congregation week after week after week. Sundays weren't a fashion parade. They're about worshipping Jesus and seeking his face. Not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Now, just a bit of a side note here. God has made you women beautiful. Cross the board. You are beautiful. And men like you. Actually, reality is men love looking at you. And that's not sin either in that sense. It's how God's designed men. Now these passages talk about you cultivating a real beauty, an unfading beauty. But men love looking at women. It's how they're designed to be. It's been warped, it's been ruined. It's good for a man to look at his wife and go, wow. Isn't that right, men? Or husbands anyway, the rest of you don't say a thing. That's good. That's how it's designed to be. The world's warped it. If you want to sell a drill, what do they do? They put a pretty woman, not wearing many clothes, holding the drill, and you can guarantee that 98% of the male population will take particular interest in the drill. (laughs) Paul knows this. And that's why he talks about how women are to dress with modesty, decency and propriety, with self-control. We're not handing out at the end of the meeting bedsheets with holes cut in the top. You know, all women grab one on the way out. Not, we're not saying that, but the men that are interested in you if you're single... If you're single and you're thinking, I'd really like a bloke, the sort of man that you want to attract is one who is attracted to your heart and character as well as your figure. Now they find the figure bit easy, but actually you want someone that sees the unfading beauty inside as well. And that needs to impact on how you dress too. So please hear me, we're not going to have sort of fashion police or be tape measures measuring hem hem, hem is it? Is that a hemline? Yeah? Hemline down there. Thank you. By the way, Chloe's not here because I'm, she's not here this morning. But it's not because I'm talking on this. So just a... But it is important. Our faith, our, our, the outworking of our faith affects every area of our life. And so particularly, young ladies think, what sort of man do I want to attract? 
Actually, you want to attract one that loves your character and your heart for God. So yeah, take care of your appearance. Men do the same. But actually, it's what's going on in the inside that is key. Amen? We're now going to transition. If you thought that was spicy, you wait till the second half. Paul starts talking about church government. Now that is critical. If you're going to understand this passage, you need to know Paul has now transitioned. He's been talking about prayer and worship. Now he's talking, he's transitioning into church government. You say, Paul, how do you know that? Well, if you read chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, you'll see that's exactly what he goes on and talks about. And we'll look at that next time. It's, It's in the flow. It's where he's going. And so he says... A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. First thing to say, and hopefully this won't come across as condescending, but I just want to highlight it. First thing I want to say is, Paul says a woman should learn. This isn't like, this isn't Afghanistan or the Taliban or something. Women learn theology. Plumb the deep truths of the gospel understand the magnitude and the riches read Martin Lloyd-Jones and John Piper and Wayne Grudem go wild do it grow in your understanding but then he goes and says something that's quite, quite tricky he says in quietness and full submission that word quiet also appears earlier in chapter 2 It appears in verse 3, no, verse 2. It says, Pray for kings and those in authorities that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. When he uses the word quiet, I do not believe what Paul is saying is that when women come to church, they're not allowed to speak. It's the same word quiet that he uses there. It has much more of a peaceful, gentle spirit about it. Not talking about silence. But then he goes on and he says something that's um, even more, more challenging really. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. What on earth does that mean? How do we apply it in a church setting? What does it mean outside of a church setting? How does this work? And there are th- broadly three perspectives you can take on this verse. And it is one of the most challenging verses I think in the New Testament. I've headed them up with something. If you take offence from what I'm saying as the heading, I had to head them with something, so... Oh, well. The first view you can take of this is a liberal view. And I know that there will be some here today who who would prescribe quite closely to this view. What Paul is really saying is, I do permit a woman to teach and have authority over a man. I know it says, I do not, but... If Paul were here today in 21st century Britain, he would be actually saying, I do permit a woman to teach and have authority over a man. So I know it says not in there, but it shouldn't be there. If Paul had been here today, a different Paul, he'd been on the platform, he would have taught something very, very different. There's a conservative view, and there will be some sat here today and you would hold this view. When Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, that is exactly what he means. A woman cannot teach in any setting, well, maybe children. They cannot have any form of leadership. They cannot administer the bread and wine. They cannot speak in church, lead worship, be deacons, do the trustee thing, do anything. You, You can be here though. Now, I I don't think either of those views are right. And you'll see exactly how creative I am with my next title. Which is... (laughs) Do you like it? You know, As you can imagine, I spent hours coming up with that one. The setting, the setting of this passage, prayer and worship, going into... Governmental authority of the church. Paul is going to go on and talk about eldership. Paul is about defining doctrine and governmental authority. So when Paul says, 
I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. What he is talking about is church eldership. It's about defining doctrine, exercising spiritual authority, serving as elders, overseers. It's all part of the same package. You find that in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. And Paul limits both this function of defining doctrine and the office of eldership as a male thing. Not for all men. At the moment we've only got one elder. We'd like more than one elder, but it's defined as a male thing. It is the responsibility of the elders to set and teach the doctrinal position of the church and that is a male role. Outside of this restriction, all other people in the church, whether male or female, can function and flourish in all other areas of ministry. This has no connection either with the workplace, with government or with other settings. It's talking about church government. Now some people have said that Jesus was much more progressive, was much more progressive than Paul was. Well, I don't agree. If you read the list of names at the end of the letter to the Romans, 50% of the names that are mentioned and the people he commends in ministry are women. So the mighty Apostle Paul, 50% are women, fulfilling various different roles, but none of them were elders. And this wouldn't have been the cultural norm. It wasn't the cultural norm for that. Paul was breaking the cultural norm. However, the Bible doesn't see it as inconsistent reserving eldership for men but also massively honouring and releasing women in the church in multiple ministry opportunities. When you look through the Old Testament or look through the Bible, in the Old Testament we see women prophets, judges, worship leaders to name just a few different areas but the high priest, the priests were linked only for men. When Jesus, when we see about Jesus' ministry, Jesus spent all night praying about who should be the apostles. He chose 12 men. However, Jesus first appeared to a woman. She was the first to proclaim that Jesus is risen from the dead. Women supported him financially in his ministry. They were part of his wider team, but they weren't part of the twelve. Now Paul gives, gives reason for this instruction. So if we go back to Timothy and we're looking at verse 12 and say, well what reason does Paul give for this condition? And he gives a reason. I just want to pull out a few things that he doesn't give as a reason. But again, if you read certain commentators, they would say these were the reasons. Just, it's just not there in the text. One reason that he's given is that actually the, the women in Ephesus were particularly bossy. They made a lot of noise in the church meetings. There was a lot of interruptions in church. They liked to throw their weight around, so he just said, look, no women in eldership. I'm sure there were men like that as well. But he didn't say no men either. I just don't... I, and it's not there in the text. It doesn't say it. Second reason might be, well, look, it's just how the culture functioned. It would have been far too disruptive and damaging to change it. He was afraid to disrupt the status quo and that's why Jesus didn't do it either. If Jesus had had a bit more guts and a bit more courage, he would have probably had a few women in the twelve disciples. But he just, he wasn't there. Come on. Do you really think that? The way he took on the Pharisees? The way he took on the Roman authorities? If, if Jesus had, had wanted that, if that had been how he'd planned it, he'd have done that. Others have said, well, there was just a lack of educated women in Ephesus. There's some very educated women in Ephesus. And anyway, later on in chapter 3, we see Paul saying it's good to have women deacons, which is a massive, massive leadership-serving role in the church. Different to eldership, but he releases them into it. When Paul 
And I know this is hard. And if I do bring a bit of humour in, it's not because I want to um, make you feel bad. It just lightens the, the environment a little bit. Makes me less nervous. When Paul gives a reason in chapter 2, he goes back to creation. He doesn't go to any cultural problems, he goes back to creation. He doesn't, he doesn't go back to after the fall, he goes back pre-fall. He says, look, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not the one deceived, it was the woman who was deceived and then became a sinner. What Paul points back to is creation. How God has designed us, men and women, and how we function together. We are wonderfully, wonderfully equal before God, but we are designed different. It's not conditioning, it's not just the environment. In our, in our inner wiring, God has made us different. Not just physical differences, but different strengths and weaknesses. John Piper says this, the tendency today is to stress the equality of men and women by minimising the unique significance of our maleness and our femaleness. What we say is that yeah, we are equal before God and we're just the same. No, we're equal before God, but God's made us different. Wonderfully and gloriously different. And there is a beauty to manhood and womanhood in complementary harmony, in working together. A church full of men would be a lousy place, you wouldn't catch me going to it. We mustn't set our thoughts on this subject due to temporary cultural norms, but on creation norms. Differentiated roles were traced back to creation. They're not traced back to the fall. They've been warped by the fall. They've been warped by sin. There is, there is abuse, there is wrong stuff that has all come out of it and is evil, it is wicked, it is wrong and we shouldn't put up with it. But there is a creation norm be before that. And as with any other section of the Bible, we look to understand it and then we ask for grace. Oh God, I don't under fully understand it. Actually, if I'm honest, maybe I'm even pre... I don't like it. But Lord, I want to follow you. And I want to do the best I can to apply this in my life. And then the last verse. But women will be saved by childbearing. Gets worse, doesn't it? Sorry. And women will be saved by childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness with propriety. Paul is not teaching justification by childbirth. Put your hand up if you've had a baby here. Good, you've, you've, got, your, you've got your ticket to heaven. The, the question you need to ask is, saved from what? Now, I believe if you read 1 Timothy chapter 5, we're going to look at that in, in the next few months, he's talking about the role of widows in the church. I believe he's talking about you will be saved from temptation. Basically, to gather it all together, if you are busy doing the things that God has called you to do, you will not have enough time to sin and fall into temptation. And so, in a sense, what Paul is saying here is be busy in your life. He says to widows, don't sit around gossiping and being busybodies, be busy with your hands. And in a sense, that's pretty much what Paul is saying here. I, can say, I could say to some of you guys, guys, if you sat around on your butts not doing very much all day, you need to go find yourself a job or find a way to be busy and active with your hands, you will sin less if you do. That's pretty much what Paul is saying. There's a practical outworking which predominantly in their culture would be set in the home. But it's the same, it will be the same for all of us. Be busy. Be active with what God is calling you to do. Make a difference for him and it will not give the enemy as much room in your life to cause you uh, to fall away and to get caught up in sin. For some of you guys, you pray a lot, oh Lord, please don't lead me into temptation when really you just need to get busy doing what God's called you to do. If you can't get a job and it's not easy getting jobs these days, try and find some charity work you can get involved in. Try and find a way you can get involved and make a difference elsewhere. But if you spend a lot of time watching daytime TV and things like that, you're going to cause yourself problems. 
And it's also pretty trashy. There is a wonderful mix and variety of leadership in the Bible. There is a wonderful mix and variety of leadership in the church. There are such opportunities for us to grow. Whether whether a man or a woman, I'm passionate. I want every single person to play their part. Every single one of you to play your part. God has got a unique purpose and plan for you to fulfil. But there are also creation norms. Why has God designed it this way? I really don't know. Would I, if I'm honest, would I rather be teaching something else? Probably would, if I'm honest. But my responsibility is to explain the truth as best as I can under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and instruct you to live in line with it. Now here I've got two excellent women who are going to come and share people. <laughs> women. People who are going to share. Em, do you want to come and... Uh, can you give her a round of applause? scripture that I wanted to, I just wanted to tell you something that a friend shared with me this week. Um, With her permission, um, she told me that as a single woman in church life, it's tough. And uh, and that's hard to hear, actually. But she also said that she knows that God has opened doors to her and used her in wonderful ways that she maybe wouldn't have happened otherwise. That's her testimony. She told me she's found a security in the eldership here, And that actually men, especially the older men, she said, the chivalry between you has really testified to her about the father heart of God. She also said that when men in this church have stood up for her, have honoured her, have protected her, that actually it's been affirming and really empowering. So when I was thinking about uh, what to share this morning, I was really reminded of a passage in Proverbs 31, which many of you 
possibly know, um, but it's a model of a godly woman. And for time, I won't read it all out, but do go away and read it. It's great. Um, but this, this woman, she is worth far more than rubies. She brings her husband good and not harm. And then it talks a lot about all the things that she's doing. It says she sets about her work vigorously. She opens her arms to the poor. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her work bring her praise at the city gate. You know, this woman's amazing, isn't she? She's a wonderful model of what God intends for us. She's no slouch and I don't think that weak or passive or uh, critical and aggressive, those just aren't words that we could apply to her. Her actions and her attitudes are changing the world around her. She's affecting her husband and her children, her community, the church, the poor, her workplace. She's fabulous. And I think we can all look at this passage and find it helpful. And I'm, please don't hear that I'm saying I'm there. I'm completely not. But I know that God is willing and able to help me. So before I finish, I just did briefly want to reflect on some of the amazing women we have in this church. And I know that I could never... Uh, do you all justice and I could never mention everybody and apologies if you're a visitor I appreciate these names aren't going to mean very much to you but um, I hope you could bear with me Um, I wanted to start with Chloe Mann actually Paul's lovely wife I know she's not here but I don't know if you all know how brilliant Chloe is she's faithful and she's steadfast she's wonderful she's such a blessing Natalie Williams who has just joined the staff team here. Now, my stand comes home very regularly from work and says what an asset she is to the team, what she brings in a meeting. She's phenomenal. Liz Purslove, Sheila Rosewell, our wonderful pastoral deacons who are quietly supporting and loving and counselling so many in the church. Jackie Bibby, and Bunt, and Bristow, all you guys who are heading up Link Lunch, what a fantastic blessing that is to the older generation. Sarah Mann, I don't know where to start with you, really. But your, your faith in God, your seeking after him in the middle of a storm that I can't imagine, is wonderful. So we have women who serve faithfully here as trustees on core groups, in the worship team, stewarding teams, welcome teams, children's work, and we couldn't do without you. So it seems to me that we've got to, we've got to get God first in our lives. We love him first. Instead of vying for position, instead of reacting and misunderstanding these passages, either by being passive on one hand or by being kind of aggressive or critical on the other, we need to give it all over to Christ. Then he does what he wants in us and through of us. Every one of us uniquely important to his kingdom. Timothy finishes by saying to continue in faith and love and holiness. And what a great calling that is. What a privilege. And what a great church we've got to work all of that out in. Cool. Follow that. (laughs) Well, I'm different, okay. Uh, For those who don't know me, my name's Anna. I've been a Christian now for 30 years. I've been married for almost 30 years to Richard, who's a real hero, supporting me and putting up with me for all that time. With two children, James, 27, and Becky, 25. We brought them up to leave home, and they have. Um, <laughs> and, and they're just really lovely people. They've turned out well. Work-wise, I'm a teacher with a year one class. That's five and six-year-olds for those people that don't know anything about teaching. Um, I'm part-time, if there's such a thing. And in my past, I was an art teacher at a secondary school. That's a, a while ago, though, Rich, isn't it? 20 years or something. Within the church, I serve in the Freedom in Christ team. I serve as a pastoral deacon and I head up the Empower Women's team. Like Emma, I think I've misunderstood this passage, and that misunderstanding has led me to being insecure and anxious. 
That's the main thing, really. But maybe even indignant and angry at times too, particularly in the early days of being a Christian, when I was first discovering what the Bible says, and new Christians among you will understand exactly what I mean by that. I don't know about you, but I really care about doing God's work in his way. So it's been the working it out in practice where sometimes I've felt a bit wobbly and I've certainly made plenty of mistakes. Things like when and whether it is really appropriate for me to teach in a particular church setting. Obviously, that's not an issue when I'm with women. But I have found it tricky in my Freedom in Christ role, to be quite honest. I think Paul's unpacking of these verses has been really helpful. I wish I'd heard it years ago. Would have saved a lot of grief. I've got to say that I have felt that good male eldership in this church has been like a giant secure umbrella of protection over me as I have been freed up to move and be creative and just be me under it. Some years ago, when I felt God put the idea of Tots Club on my heart to reach out to non-Christian women, I was affirmed and encouraged and released to get that started and up and running. Now Tots Club is under the safe leadership of Hannah Beanie. Hannah, where are you? She's, go on, stand up. (laughs) Come on. Um, And I'm sure that she would say, uh, her testimony would also be that she's been affirmed and encouraged and released to get, um, just to keep that going obviously with a brilliant committed core and wider team, of course, and, of course, to take Tots Club on to its next phase. She's not looking. She's busying herself with her baby. (laughs) When I felt God put developing a women's ministry on my heart again, I was affirmed and encouraged and released by male eldership to get that started along with the lovely Tracy Masters. I won't get you to stand up yet. And now I continue to be affirmed and encouraged and supported to keep going. Lately, we've been relaunched as Empower, and presently, with a bigger core team of very gifted women, it gets much more exciting as things goes. Can the Empower team stand up, the core team? Oh, look around, wave to everybody so they know who you are. These are gifted women here. Yeah. As I've said already, I love the protective umbrella of security over me of good male eldership in this church. It feels a very safe place for me to be and to be able to exercise all the giftings that God has given me. And in a sense, what I've just said about loving the security of good male eldership and that it feels a very safe place for me to be, really it goes against all the odds. You see, I come from a background with a mother who strongly and dominantly led the marriage, home and family. She was my primary role model, okay? Then, I was sexually abused as a young teenager. My innocence was stolen. And that was huge for me. That was huge for me. And has caused me big issues with being able to trust men ever since in all sorts of ways. To be honest, this brought baggage into our marriage, which of course we work and working through. In my late late teens, I got pregnant and had an abortion. And the circumstances around that exacerbated all the mistrust in men I already had even though I certainly wasn't an innocent victim in that instance. I did become quite anti-men and feminist for a long time. Why I'm saying this and what I'm getting at is that naturally speaking, from my upbringing and background, before I became a Christian in my 20s, I shouldn't like male eldership at all. Naturally speaking, I should be against it, Naturally speaking, I should mistrust the Apostle Paul and certainly this passage and all passages like it. Naturally speaking, I should mistrust our Paul 
and his leadership. And I should disagree with and be critical of his teaching this morning. But, <laughs> but, but you see, it's not like that, is it? It's not like that. Why? Why isn't it like that? Come on, be interactive. Why isn't it like that? Yeah. God, God, but for God, but for the grace of God. I am here this morning only able to say a huge hooray for our good male eldership here and only able to say a huge amen to Paul's unpacking of and teaching on this packet passage because of a huge rescue work and turnaround that God has done in my life. I'm sure you'll agree that they, both Emma and Anna, were amazing and um, very powerful. And obviously they, they bared their souls to you as well, which I mean, opening their hearts up. Let's stand and we're going to close in prayer. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit and your presence. Lord, we know we've been looking at things that are very difficult to understand and I know for a number number of people here it's going to be a struggle, it's going to be hard I ask for your grace to come pray for your love to sweep in Lord we, we understand as well Lord that there are many amazing Christians across this nation and in other nations that wouldn't agree with us on this passage Lord, we ask for your grace and your blessing on us as a church. Keep leading us forward, I pray. I pray for the water of your spirit to calm our hearts. In the end, Lord, we say our heart and our desire is to follow you, do the best we can to understand your word and keep in step with it. And we ask for grace to do it in this area, but in every other area as well, we pray. Give us boldness never to back away, but always to keep doing the best we can to follow you and the promptings of your spirit. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for all you've done. We thank you for your amazing work in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. If you would like to discuss what's been said this morning further, I know that Emma and Anna and myself are very happy to do so. We'll be around at the front. Um, if you're visiting, it's great to have you with us. Just to let you know, not every Sunday is quite like this. Um, so do come back and have another look um, and see what we're about and... Uh, head through to the other hall for to have a nice cup of coffee with us. Have a great afternoon and um, we will see you, if not before, on Easter Sunday. Thank you very much. <laughs>